I get that quicker? Or if you want to change it back there, that's fine either way. Um, Okay, let's open with a word of prayer. Lord, you are the Almighty One. You rule and reign over the earth and over your people. And as we gather here now, we long to hear from you. You alone are worthy, Lord, of our worship. We bring it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Well, it's great to be here with you, see all of you. Great to have all our ocean elders back. (laughs) I don't know why they're all going to the ocean. I was thinking we may not... We made it to stop singing that song we sang last week called Oceans. I think they're misunderstanding it. <laughs> but I'm glad they're back with us now. <laughs> uh, I want to ask you all to uh, join me, if you would, and uh, welcome my... She's been here for two weeks now, but this is her last Sunday with us. Uh, uh, my niece in the Lord Jesus, Allie Horn, is here with us, and she's a delight, and we love having her around. Would you guys just welcome her here with us? She's a blessing. I hope you get to meet her. And if any of you is interested in talking about The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings, Sydney and Allie have been watching those movies this week, and they'll be glad to talk to you about that today. <laughs> I want to say to you as we talk about worship and go into our second sermon here on, on worship today, just so you understand uh, where I come from and, and Olivia, uh, we really enjoy and are blessed by the worship here. And uh, it's uh, something that we are appreciative of and grateful for. And so you should know that whenever I say anything about worship, I'm thankful for the good things. I can always say things about any church anywhere that I say, well, that might could be improved or this might could be improved, any denomination, whatever. But I, we really appreciate things here. We appreciate Daniel and Drew and uh, the work that they put in free of charge and the praise team in, in general, all that you do. Uh, just very appreciative of you and, and thankful for, for what happens here. So I want to open up today by quoting from our friend Pete, those of you who have been doing our, our Emotionally Healthy Studies. Uh, uh, if you've read the book, Pete Scazzaro asked this question at one point in the book. Why are so many of us living lives with deeply entrenched parts of us apparently untouched by the power and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ? That's the question, isn't it? I mean, we're talking about uh, overall, we talk about a vision for a church. We've, we've said this and said it repeatedly now. We want to be a people who are disciples, people who can answer the question, who are you, with an immediacy. I am a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first thing that I know about myself. It's the first thing that others know about me. And that means that, that parts of my life, every, hopefully every part of my life over time, is touched by the power of and the mercy of the Lord Jesus. And the truth is, many, many people have gone to church and they haven't experienced that. And there are various answers for that. One one answer is that people have never intended it. 
And churches have never intended to be communities of people who truly are disciples of Jesus. We just along the way lost that vision somewhere. And that's part of the answer. But even when you intend it, you have to know how to go about it. And there are various factors involved. In fact, uh, Pete Cazero is offering one thing that he thinks is really important, and that's being emotionally healthy in our discipleship, learning how to uh, let God heal our emotional wounds. But that's not the only thing that matters in our growth and development. In fact, I would say this illustration is not original to me, but, but I think that uh, our journey should be and, and, and our formation should be like the strings on the guitar. And if you have just one string and you play it over and over, you're not going to get much of a song. You need multiple strings. Don't you, Cruz? You can't, you can't, even you can't play with one string, can you? Oh, you can? Okay, well, all right. Uh, but that's Cruz, okay? I mean, that, we, we, don't, uh, uh, we don't model ourselves by those who are so far advanced. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, you need, you need multiple strings. And uh, one string is emotional health. One string is accountability to others in community. Uh, one string sometimes may be prayer. Sometimes people need deliverance and, and uh, to meet with God in, in, in powerful prayer by others who know how to do that. But one of the strings, and one of the very important, some people would say this is the heart of discipleship, is worship. And that's not the way we've typically thought about worship as being at the heart of discipleship. And that's what I want to talk about today, is, is how we can begin to think of worship as forming us for our walk with Christ. Do you know that worship is not primarily our gift to God, but it's God's gift to us? you understand that? I remember reading C.S. Lewis years ago, and he was wrestling with this idea of why does God ask for worship? I mean... Imagine if my old friend Julio, if uh, he said he's going to start a club, said, Luke, you can join with a number of other people. Only one thing that uh, we do in this club that you have to do once a week, I want everybody to come together, and I want you to tell me how great I am. Tell me I'm greater than anybody else. You know, I don't think, I love Julio, but I don't think I would join that club. Something seems off with that, doesn't it? Because we think, oh man, that's egocentric, and that's, why, why does somebody need to have, have themselves told how great they are all the time? But you see, God's point, there, there are two things to know about this. One is, God's the only one who's worthy of that. And that's the starting point right there. Nobody else on earth is worthy of being told that they're greater than everybody else. God is. But, but the second thing to understand is that, and this is what Lewis wrestled with as he was reading the Psalms, he figured out that this isn't actually just what God is asking of them because he's worthy. It's also what, what completes their joy. And he talked about how praise does this. When when we love anything, if we have a good meal, we turn to the person next to us and we say, wow, that was great. If we make new friends, we go home with our spouse or whoever it is we're with and we say, man, don't you like them? They were great. You watch a good movie and you're like, man, that was great. It's like we don't know how to do something and enjoy it without turning to somebody else and proclaiming how good it is. And Lewis uh, took, took this and he, he looked at Psalm 50. Psalm 50 talks about 
uh, God's kind of confronting the Israelites and saying, do you really think I need your sacrifices? He said, if I were hungry, would I tell you? (laughs) I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I don't need your sacrifices. And what Lewis realized is that God's inviting us in worship to complete our joy. To rejoice before the Lord. To experience his goodness regularly and to complete that joy in worship. Worship is God's gift to us. And not only is it the completion of our joy, but along with that, it is forming us. Have you ever noticed all of the things in the Old Testament that they're told to do? Bring sacrifices at this time. Gather at this time on these different days. I mean, they had, they had these festivals and feasts. Three major ones a year, but then others besides those. These three festivals marked their whole year by reminding them of God and his covenant faithfulness, reminding them of their history, of the Passover and his deliverance in Egypt, reminding them how they wandered in the the wilderness and God provided for them, reminding them that God is the one who's providing their food and the uh, the blessings. You know, one thing they would do is with with their first fruits from the ground, they'd take it and they'd wave it before the Lord. They were told to do that. All these different things they did, they came together and sang and prayed. And and remember, why all these things that they're told to do? It's not because God needed the bump from them. God needed his ego boosted. It's because those things formed them. They learned to be the people of God. They learned to inhabit the narrative of God's redemption through their worship. And they always understood that worship formed them. And worship still forms us today. There's this connection between uh, idolatry and immorality that's just understood in Scripture and in history. Uh, Have you ever noticed Psalm 135? This quote shows up a couple of times in the Psalms. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. They have eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. Idolatry is not just something that's happening in our heads. We're thinking something about false gods. It's something that's forming us as people. And I saw a book a long time ago, I never read it, but the title was, You Become What You Worship. And I'm sure it was drawing on scriptures like this one in the Old Testament. You worship something that's unfeeling, that's unseeing, unknowing, and you become less feeling, seeing, and knowing. You become less human, less in the image of God. However, on the flip side of that, what we're called to, do you realize this incredible calling? We are called to become like God, to bear the image of the true and living God, that is our role in the world as image bearers of God. And worship forms us into that image. In the New Testament, you get over to to, uh, Romans chapter 1, and Paul talks about all these 
these sins that the world has fallen into and how everyone has fallen into sin, but it's connected to the fall into idolatry. God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than, rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You see that connection? They got rid of the truth about God. And they were given over to all kinds of lust and sinful things. Idolatry and immorality always go together. False ideas about God lead to false ways of living, unfaithful ways of living. It's in worship that we are formed. Worshiping the true God, worshiping God as he is, understanding him and loving him, encountering him, we become like him. Conversely, when we let other things be God, place other things in God's place, we are torn away from our, the intended role we have in creation to be like God. The scripture in 2 Corinthians 3.18 is uh, one that stands out to me when we think about worship forming us. We wouldn't necessarily want to limit this to the corporate assembly because it can happen in other ways, but I don't think it's happening. Uh, I don't think the scripture would. Uh, I, let me let me rephrase that. I think the scripture has application to the corporate assembly, maybe even a primary application to our corporate assembly. We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. That's a beautiful calling we're given to be transformed into the image of our Lord, as we behold Him. We become like him. As we contemplate the Lord Jesus together, we're being transformed into his glorious image. Worship is formative. One of the, I'll just leave that scripture up there for a minute. One of the most significant books that I have read in the last probably 10 years. This is a book by a philosopher. Actually, I read a couple of volumes of his uh, three-volume philosophical work, but the one that's more accessible, uh, it's called You Are What You Love by James K.A. Smith. And he makes a really interesting argument, and I try not to uh, make it too confusing or uh, uh, just too burdensome here as we talk about it. But he says that a lot of the way we think about church today is influenced by a certain view of human beings. That we've, grasped, that we've caught on to maybe from enlightenment perspectives, more modern thinking. And that's, that's the, that we are thinking things primarily. All right? That the main thing about human beings is that we think. And so in, in ways we end up making worship all about giving people certain thoughts. And you change their worldview, and then you expect that to be enough for them. You teach them and train them, get their thoughts going the right way. And, and uh, that will change the human being. And Smith, arguing from an Augustinian tradition, St. Augustine's tradition, says that's actually not the, the primary way we should think about human beings. Human beings are actually loving things. They're not just thinking things. Now, thinking matters a lot. But we're not primarily just thinking things. We are, first of all, loving things. Think about how you come to love your kids, for example. Do you think through a bunch of reasons like, well, it's 
for this reason and this reason and this reason, I'm going to love my kid. I mean, there are some days where, <laughs> you know, but, but generally you come to love your kids by holding them. By, by conversing with them, by watching them grow, and you, you say, wow, I love them. That's how, that's how our love is formed for our kids. It's not through primarily a rational process, but through a habit. Habits are forming our loves all the time. And here's what Smith says, okay, without burdening us with a, a really long conversation about this. I urge you to read the book if you're interested. But, but what he says is there are all kinds of things around us that are pulling on our loves, he calls these cultural liturgies. They are worshiping sort of practices without actually identifying as that. And those things are always pulling our hearts. And we go out into them all the, all the time in the world. And, and the church is sort of bought into the idea if we, if we just give people good information, we can send them out there and let their hearts be pulled by all, all kinds of things and they'll be okay. And so the example he uses, uh, the, the major one he focuses on is on the mall. You go to the mall and you're formed to be a consumer. And the mall is preaching to you. You don't know it's doing it, but it's preaching to you. And so are commercials on TV, by the way. And they're saying, oh, this is the good life. That matters most. If you had this to wear, if you had this to eat, if you had this to drive, wow. And you walk into the mall and the architecture, you don't even think about it, but it's made to be this beautiful, glistening, drawing kind of thing. The smells that come at you says, this is beautiful, this is good. Buy this and live. We talk about this with our girls. I remember taking Sydney to the mall a while back, and we walked around looking at the stores, and I talked to Sydney about how the mall lies to you. <laughs> because we want, we want to get this clear. And we, get, we do this in Dallas, by the way. Sydney sees it on her own now, like these, these billboards. They'll be like, if you had teeth like this. <laughs> and we laugh at these things. We call them out because we are living according to a different narrative. We're in a different kingdom, and we know that these things are lies. Not, not everybody is bad-intentioned with it, I understand that. But, but we are called to see something different, to see a different good, to aim our lives at a different end, and say we will not be pulled into these things that the world, or, or, or pulled by the world as it tries to pull us into all these different things, it tries to pull our loves away. And we can talk about other things besides the mall. You can talk about football games, politics. You know, the liturgies of politics form us. I really appreciated what, what Daniel said. At this time of year, such an anxiety can arise, and people can be formed so deeply, formed to be hostile. It doesn't matter right or left. If you are deeply immersed in what's going on in our nation right now, and if that's your primary kingdom, you're going to be formed to be a person of contempt. To hold others in contempt who disagree with you. You see, we have to be reminded that that's not our primary world. What I know is going to be true 
after November 3rd, you know what, you know what I know is going to be true? The kingdom of God is going to be secure. People get all worried about all kinds of things. Oh, we're going to save our country. Guys, our calling is not to save our country. Our calling is to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. And his kingdom is going to be secure. But you see, we have to come to worship as a place that recalibrates us. Because we walk out into the world and we get all these things pulling at our hearts. And make no mistake, our, our gods, it's, you know, idolatry is not just a matter of thinking false gods exist. That's the way we sometimes think about it. But that's not all it is. Idolatry is about allegiance and life priorities and the passions of our hearts. And when we start to think of idolatry in that way, we realize, man, we are in danger of it. Because we live in a world that draws our hearts. And sometimes in the church we have said, well, as long as we have their heads, as long as we get them to think there's only one God, then we don't care if we can send them out there and let the world draw on their hearts. Guess what? When it comes to how we behave long term, the heart will always win. Because we are made as loving things. And if we don't learn to love God, which is the first commandment, that Jesus has given us to love God with all our hearts. If we don't learn that love, then other loves will fill that space and we will be drawn into life away from God. Worship calls us back into the true kingdom, into true love of God. Let me just say a little bit to you about how habits work. Because habits is, we're learning habits in worship. And habits are so important. We don't think about habits. That's the nature of habits. Do you know one time, I've, actually one time, I've done this multiple times, caught myself doing this. Don't, don't think I'm too stupid, but this is the truth. I'll be driving around, and there'll be a dog off to the side. And you know what I'll do? I'm just driving. And I'll be like, wait a second. That was a dog. <laughs> and multiple times I have done that. Because I've been in a habit, my, my hand waves, you know, when I, when I see somebody. It's just what we do without thinking, right? I had years ago, when I was uh, in a restaurant in London, Kentucky, Sydney was little. My vocabulary was trained a certain way. We were about to leave, and I announced loudly before everybody in the restaurant. I was like, yeah, hold on, I'm going to go potty, and then I'll be right back. Because <laughs> that was the language that I had become accustomed to. To using its habits. Y'all remember Mr. Miyagi and Karate Kid? Remember when he taught the Karate Kid to wax his car? There you go. You got it. On and off. No, not like this. Like this. And finally, finally what's his name? Daniel? Uh, anyway, he's like, he's so frustrated. Why am I waxing your car? And Mr. Miyagi just steps up to him and kind of swings at him. And he goes, Phew. and he realizes that whole time he's been forming a muscle he didn't even know was there. I want to say to you that that's the kind of habits we're supposed to be learning in worship. As well as in other areas in the Christian life. We're strengthening our muscles to be formed in the image of Christ. So that when Satan takes a swing at us, all of a sudden we go. And maybe we didn't even realize it at the time. But over years and years of practices, we've been preparing to be able 
to be active in the spiritual battles that God calls us to. We're learning habits in worship by our words, by our songs. Not too long ago, Olivia and I were, it's been a year or two, but we were driving down the road on a trip somewhere and we started listening to Garth Brooks. I guess it's been decades since I've really listened to Garth Brooks. But we started belting out all these words, shameless, uh, Colin Baton Rouge. I even sang uh, and knew the words to I've Got Friends in Low Places. And as we did this, and we, we both, knowing these words and just singing them out loud down the road, I said to Olivia at one point, no wonder we weren't spiritually formed when we were in high school. Because that was the words. Those were the words that were inhabiting me. Those were the thoughts that were guiding us. What about the habits that will form us into Christ-likeness? What about the words that become a part of us that are holy words, that are God's words? Have we prioritized that? Is that where our heart is? One of the primary ways our hearts is formed is in worship. And we have to consider deeply how it's forming us. We're not just trying to get people through the doors. We talked about this last week. I'll say just a little bit more about it here. We're not just trying to get people through the doors so that we can empty a message into them. And then send them back out. We're not just trying to entertain them and give them what they want so that they can be evangelized because that evangelism will not take them deeply into the kingdom. It may get them in our doors, but does it get them in the doors of the kingdom to walk with Christ? Listen to, I'm gonna skip one of these quotes and just go to this other one. This is the guy writing about the early church. I may have shared this quote with you before, but. It's a wonderful book on the early church by Alan Crider. He says, Early Christian worship was designed to empower all members and to give them a sense of their worth that expressed itself in courageous living and bold testimony. Okay? That's what worship was doing for them. The early Christians understood this. Worship was the energizing core of the Christian's life, the source of their buoyancy. What the outsider saw was not their worship. They weren't designing worship to bring in outsiders. The outsiders looked at the Christians and saw them energetically feeding the poor people and burying them, caring for boys and girls who lacked property and parents, and being attentive to aged slaves and prisoners. And they said, Vide, look how they love one another. Do you see the connection between worship and life? There are the Christians... They weren't trying to say, oh, let's make sure we make this so everybody will like it. In fact, they had rules where they would keep people away even. They wouldn't, they wouldn't let people come in. They wouldn't offer communion to people, especially early on. But they knew that what was drawing people was not how they designed worship. It was the people they became because of their worship. They didn't want to just have attractive worship services. They wanted to be people who were attractive because Christ had come to dwell in them. And they knew that the worship that they engaged in was forming them to be these kind of people. Do you see how that works? And when we are those kind of people, there's a natural magnetism to it. It's not bending over backwards to say, hey, come be with me. We'll do everything you want us to do. 
is saying, we are Jesus' people. We serve the true and living God, and it makes a difference in how we live. And if you see that and you want that, you're welcome. There's a lot that can be said about all of this, and I'm going to say a little bit more uh, in a few weeks when I have another sermon related to, to worship stuff. I'm really trying to shorten my sermons. <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap up here by just making a few suggestions, if I can. Um, there's so much, really, to talk about from a practical standpoint, but let's just say that it's okay to be weird Because we're trying to be formed for Christ, and um, sometimes that will look weird to people. We don't need to try so hard to be cool. For example, we've talked for so much, I'm not going to emphasize it here today, we've talked so much in recent months about the Lord's Supper. That's one of the things that, as the culture of the church has changed, has fallen out of favor, and, and, and people stop practicing it, stop practicing it very much. Because it's not something that's easy for for people to get. <laughs> what if it wasn't supposed to be easy for people to get? What if that's supposed to be something that people get once they've really understood what it means to give their lives to Jesus? In churches, uh, frequently now prayer has become such... I really appreciated what you did today, Steve. Um, prayer has become such a minor factor in churches because... And part of it is just the way we've done it. It's become the most boring thing that, that happens in church. And we sit there and just say, man, can I possibly pay attention to this whole thing with my eyes closed? And, uh, and since it's so, so boring and, and not that well understood, people have kind of just said, let's shift prayer, let's get it out of the way, make it a beginning in anything, and, and, and not have much to do with our services. When prayer was the lifeblood of the early church. But we need to think deeply about how we're praying. I don't think we need just another uh, admonition to pay attention while some man says a really, really long prayer. What Steve did today was great, inviting us into the prayer in silence. We've had Josh and, and Terry and I, we, we, and others have, have used written prayers here at times to bring us in. There are ways to, to consider praying so that we pray more as a congregation, maybe in, in groups or things like that. I don't have all the answers. I'm not trying to uh, say how everything's going to be here or anything like that. I'm just saying we need to think deeply about that because prayer matters. If man, prayer doesn't matter in our worship services, what have, we, what have we bought into? It's all prayer. Everything depends on God being there. We need to think about things like scripture reading, Christians throughout history read the Bible in church. The Bible says to read the Bible in church. But again, we don't need to think of it as some long, boring thing, an exercise of our will. But we need to think about how is this very meaningful to people and then bring Scripture to bear on the church in that way. The church historically has had times of corporate confession where they learned how to be before God in that way. And we've left that aside. That's weird to people, so we don't do that. Things like this are, are just things we can think about as we as we pursue deeper and, and more formative worship. We also need to think about content. Is the gospel reflected in our services? Are people being re-narrated? Are we being counterformed when we come together? 
Are we pulling people out of the stories that they hear out there into a different story when they come in here? Is there a different kind of time, a different kind of being, a different world that they encounter in worship here? And we should think deeply about that. Do our songs and prayers and sermons teach people what it means to live the gospel and see Jesus as he is? We need to be okay with repetition and things that we, beautiful things that we learn over time. Let me just give you one example of that, and I'm going to close. Uh, like I said, I know there's much more to be said here, and you may be kind of saying, okay, where is this going? Let's just get, let's get more later. But one, one thing that, that uh, I have found is the beauty of, of prayers that are repetitive. Now, I, I think there's also a need for spontaneous prayer, and, and prayer as the Spirit moves people to pray. Uh, but one of the things that has blessed me over time, and, and this is, by the way, not my natural setting. I didn't come up this way. It's not what I was looking for. But I've been blessed to, to learn of the entering into prayers that are beautiful and, and, and prayers uh, that have been written that can form us. And one of the things that's happened in our home is Olivia has taken this on and uh, started praying with our girls. And I don't get to do it anymore now that I've moved here because I come up to work too early. But uh, the, she leads in a repetitive prayer where, where, where um, she says something and, then, and they respond. And they're beautiful prayers. And one of them is this. As you cause the sun to rise, O God, bring the light of Christ to dawn in our souls and dispel all darkness. Give us grace to reflect Christ's glory. Let his love show in our deeds, his peace shine in our words, and his healing in our touch, that all may give him praise now and forever. And see, what I'm hoping is that our girls are learning, and that I'm learning too, but I think about them, that through this repetitive practice of prayer, I'm hoping that they're learning to think about the praise of Jesus Christ, that they're learning to think of, of in a way their muscles are being formed, so that one day... When somebody needs prayer, they're going to reach out and think, and let his healing be in my touch. Because that's been formed in them. You see, you see how that works? It's, it, we need to take these things very seriously and, and, and seek God's guidance to, to grow in these things. Praise team, would y'all come on up and uh, just praise your way on down here. <laughs> um, and let me, let me close this in prayer. In fact, um, would you just say this prayer with me as we've done? Um, I, will, I will lead us and you respond, okay? Um, as you cause the sun to rise, O God, bring the light of Christ to dawn in our souls and dispel all darkness. Give us grace to reflect Christ's glory. Let his love show in our deeds, his peace shine in our words, and his healing in our touch, that all may give him praise now and forever. Amen. Thank you.